Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. A couple of weeks ago, I got to speak at the Church of God's annual youth camp at Manchester University in rural Indiana. Surrounded by corn and soy fields, it was quite a journey. We drove out there with five teenagers, bless my heart, as they say, and uh, we had a week focused on all the different passions that we too easily allow to take God's spot in our hearts. In fact, in the message before mine, Timmy Paul Lupe urged the listeners to smash their idols demonstrating this by even taking out a sledgehammer on stage and breaking a jar. My goal for this sermon was to encourage the audience to put God on the throne in their hearts. This is something that is not simply just done once, but each and every day. And I encourage you each and every day to wake up and put God on the throne in your heart. And although this message was brief, certainly by Restitutio standards, I figured I'd share it here. Here now is episode 455, Is God on the Throne of Your Heart? I'd like to begin by thanking John Winkapaw and the directors for inviting me to speak. It certainly is an honor to address you. So tonight our topic is God, the King of our heart and future. We have considered so many different idols this week, haven't we? So many different competitors to God that can take his place in our heart. And this morning, in an epic theatrical moment, Timmy Paul brought out the sledgehammer. Timmy Paul brought out the sledgehammer. And that symbolized that act of shattering that precious jar of idols, whatever your idol is, that symbolized a moment that I hope you've, you also internalize yourself, where you said, you know what, I'm breaking down my idols. I am, I am destroying the idols in my life. I am taking them down. Now, tonight, I want to consider with you putting God in his rightful place, both now and in the age to come. It says in Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. And this is our uh, first text that we really want to look at tonight. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I want to meditate on this text with you a little bit because I believe it relates to a mindset that is key for you to have if God is on the throne of your heart. But before I get into this too much, I want to tell you a story about David Foster Wallace. I don't know if any of you ever heard of him. He's a famous writer, famous novelist. He gave a very well-known commencement speech at Kenyon College in Ohio some years ago. And this is a little excerpt of what he said in that speech. He said, and he's an unbeliever. He's a non-Christian. He said, Because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. Keep in mind, he's an atheist. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. 
the only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC or Allah, be it YHWH or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. Isn't that something? If you worship something other than a God, it will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified as myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Worship power, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid. You will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart. You will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it's that they're unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. I find these words of David Foster Wallace to be incredibly insightful. And you know what? Sometimes we can learn truths from atheists. All truth is God's truth, whether you recognize God or not. If you worship these things in your life, as we've talked about this week, you will have a harder life. You will have more heartache and you will have more suffering than if you worship your creator and put him on the throne. Now what's so intriguing to me about David Foster Wallace and his brilliant insight into what we need to be worshiping is the fact that three years after giving this speech, he killed himself. At the age of 46, he hanged himself. And when I do research on this guy to find out what he was like and what he was into, I'm amazed to discover that he was not a loser. He was a total winner in life. Right from high school, he was, he was like a really good tennis player, for example. He, he was a ranked, regionally ranked tennis player. He did extremely well in college. His thesis on philosophy and modal logic in college won the Gail Kennedy Memorial Prize. He got a master's degree in creative writing. He wrote his first novel at 25 years old and got it published. He was so good that he got into Harvard and he studied at Harvard for a while and then said, ah, I've had enough of this place. And went and worked a full-time job in Boston as a professor and then in Illinois. At 34, he published his next book, which was over 1,000 pages long. You convince somebody to pay money to read 1,000 pages of anything you have to say. And this book, which was called Infinite Jest, sold 44,000 copies its first year, over a million by today. Then he moved to California, took another college teaching job, and at 43 years old, he gave this speech, which I just quoted to you. He's not a loser. 
He didn't fail at life. He wasn't getting bullied all the time. He was a winner. He did well. He was married. He had money. He had success. People knew his name. Colleges wanted him to be a professor so that they could put one of those stupid stickers on the sidewalk that says, David Foster Wallace teaches at this school. Like we've seen all around campus this week, right? Everything that college can brag about, the college will brag about. Uh, so he has everything. He has fame, success, respect. He's also a good-looking guy. And he killed himself. So what does that tell you? That tells you that these things... These things that we are, our, our hearts are like reaching for, to live for, that we've looked at this week, these things are not enough. They're just not enough to keep us going because he had all these things and he decided to end it. Most of us never get stupid rich. Most of us aren't going to get millions of followers and, and millions of dollars and all these things, but even if you did, it still wouldn't satisfy your soul. Nothing can satisfy your deepest longings apart from God. So back to, our, back to our verse, Psalm 73, verse 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Can you say that? Can you genuinely say that in your heart? Who is there in heaven besides God? And, who, and what else can I desire on earth besides God? Because your desire for God is so strong, so prioritized over everything else in life that you can genuinely say, compared to my desire for God, everything else is nothing. Wow, that's an incredible heart commitment. Here's a question you might ask yourself, what wouldn't you give up for God? I'm reminded of Abraham. God told Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and offer him up to me on this mountain. I don't think God ever asked anybody to do that again, right? That was a one-time thing. Uh, but, wow, God wanted to be first in Abraham's heart, even above the son of his old age, even above the promise for all his future dreams to come to pass. And you know what? Of course, God stopped Abraham from actually killing his son. But the point of that story for us is that God was first in Abraham's heart, above everyone else, above everything else, even above his own sense of what the future could hold. Jeff Fletcher mentioned this statement by Augustine about ordered loves that I'd like to share with you. He said, and thus beauty, which is indeed God's handiwork, but only a temporal, carnal, and lower kind of good, is not fitly loved in preference to God, the eternal, spiritual, and unchangeable good. When the penny pincher prefers his money to justice, it is through no fault of the money, but of the person. And so with every created thing, for though it be good, it may be loved with an evil as well as with a good love. It is loved rightly when it is loved ordinately, wrongly when inordinately. The sin we commit is when we forget the order of things, and instead of you, talking to God, love what you have made. It's from the city of God. Uh, I, I don't actually like much of what Augustine said for the record, but I really think he was on to something here. This idea of ordered loves. You know, I think it's fine to love pizza. Obviously, someone at this campus has a thing for pizza. <laughs> right? Like, I'm surprised they don't have breakfast pizza. I mean, there's just been pizza every day. There's been pizza here, right? But and, and if you love pizza, 
Well, first of all, this is not, by New York standards, this is not pizza. This is more like pizza, okay? But I don't want to be too much of a Yankee snob here. But if you love this food that pretends to be pizza, God bless you, that's, that's fine. You know, you, lo- you love it, you love it, right? But if you love pizza more than your mom, you got a problem, right? Because there's an ordering to loves. Like, it's fine to love pizza. You can even become like a professional pizza chef. You can start a pizza business. These are all things that are good in the eyes of God. But if you love them more than your mom, what's wrong with you, right? There's an order to loves. Like, you love your mom more than pizza. And should God give you kids one day? You should love your kids more than pizza, right? Or more than some other thing you like to do. For the gluten-free people, what do they have? That's not pizza. There's, there's got to be some sort of thing like pizza that they eat. Cauliflower Thank you. Cauliflower pizza. So just substitute that in if that works better for your analogy. So this is the idea of ordered loves. Look, the idea, I know we used it graphically with the, with the sledgehammer and everything to break our idols, but the simple fact of the matter is, if you are idolizing your job, that is a sin, but it's not like you can destroy your job and be like, I'm not working anymore because I'm a Christian. Right? Still got to work. Oh, did you think I was going there? Go and sin no more. No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is a lot of these things are good that we are drawn to and that we do in life, but we just have to put God above them. We have to put God at the highest level. And then when we do these things, whether it's our job or, or our spouse or you know, relationships or whatever it is we have in our lives, it works, and it's good, and it won't destroy us when times are tough. So work hard. I think you should. I think as Christians, we should work hard. I think as a Christian, you should do your homework. I think you should succeed at school. And if you go to college, I think you should nail your courses in college. That's New York for try hard. I mean, if we're going to work heartily as under the Lord... What, should the world look at us at the church and say, oh, they're just a bunch of slackers? They don't really care about these, these things in life? No. I, I think we need Christian doctors and engineers and lawyers and architects and people to work in all these different areas of life that interact with people. Like we, we heard uh, John mention retail, people that are interacting with people. You know, we need Christians there. We need Christians in all these areas. But look, put God first. Just get the order right. That's all I'm saying. I'm not trying to be extreme and say you got to be a monk who swears off any kind of relationship or good food and lives in a monastery beating yourself every day for the rest of your life. That's not what I'm saying. If God put you on the earth to make pastalaya, then God bless it. Make pastalaya to the glory of the Lord. Brother Tab saw me over there struggling with what they tentatively call chicken parmesan today at dinner. And uh, he came by with this, uh, this tube, this cylinder of Cajun goodness. And he's like, here, this will help. <laughs> and there was not a single Italian spice in that, in that uh, seasoning. But it did help. It did. You know, he, he really is a, a gift, gifted in that area. So the question is, have you done this? Have you done what the psalmist says here? Have you adopted a mindset that can agree 
when we read, whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. And then verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. Oh, can you hear that? God is the strength of my heart. Do you believe that? Is that true for you? Is God the strength of your heart and your portion forever? That's home base. If you have this, you can face anything in life. I want to tell you about a a time that I had a failure. Her name was Melissa. Her name was Melissa. And oh, she was fine, Brother Jake. (laughs) I was in high school. It was around about junior year of high school. And my goodness, I was dating this girl. I'd been with her for a year. Her name was Jamie. She was all right. She was all right. Don't don't hate, don't hate. She She was all right, but Melissa... I mean, it was like, oh, oh I'd, I'd pass by her classroom and I'd just look in as I walked by just to catch a glimpse of her, you know, and I just, you know, the sun rose and it was Melissa and the sun set and I was thinking about Melissa and I decided, you know, I'm going into my senior year. This is my last shot. I broke up with Jamie and I decided I'm going for Melissa. I'm going to try to go out with this girl. And so what I did is I went over to my friend's house, as one does, and I was in his basement. And uh, since this was a long time ago, I could not call Melissa. Because in my time, when I was a teenager, when I was in high school, individuals didn't have phones. Houses did. Right? Which, which is a lot more awkward than it is today. Like today, you don't even have to call. You could just text. So now I have to call, and who do I have to talk to? Mom, I have to talk to mom. So mom answers the phone. She doesn't know who I am. To be honest, I don't even know if Melissa knew who I was yet either. Okay, just to be honest, like she, maybe she heard of me, but like this was like the initial contact. And uh, so I, I sweet talk to mom, as one does. Can I talk to your daughter? I'm a friend from school. Not really true. And so she puts, she puts Melissa on the phone. And she's like, I'll, I'll go get her. And, I, and I'm, you know, I've got this huge like plastic thing like we had back in the day with this curly wire. And I'm just like sweating and my friend's sitting right there. And I'm just like, my heart's beating. Melissa's going to come to the phone. What am I going to say? So she gets to the phone and I, and, I, and I start talking to her and I tell her, hi, it's Sean. You know, do, do, do you know who I am? And, she's, and she confirms that she knew I existed. It's like, I could hear, it's like I could already hear the angels singing. So we started talking for a little while, and I said, Melissa, there's just one thing I have to ask you. Would you go out to the movies with me? Would, would you go out on a date with me? Would you be willing to do that? And she said, sure. She said, sure. She did. I just put everything on the line, and I, and I was just, I'm going to go for this. You know, uh, you got to be bold. you got to take risks. And she said, sure. And the level of hormones in my little teenage body, just like 4th of July explosions everywhere. Like I am so excited, so thrilled, so overjoyed. We say goodbye and I, and I, I am frozen with joy. I'm just like, my body is buzzing and humming and I can't even barely tell my friend what she said. And then I go to school the next day. I go to school, now it's face to face, 
it's, it's a whole other ball game, right? It's face to face. I go to school the next day, and she snubs me. She won't talk to me. I put her on the spot. She didn't want to say no, so she said sure, but she didn't really mean sure. She, mean, she meant let's just get off the phone. And then, uh, so she wouldn't, she wouldn't talk to me, and I wasn't really sure. I was a little slow with such things. So I called her again the next day. <laughs> I called her again the next day, and her mother answers the phone, and I'm like, hello, is Melissa there? And her mother's like, why don't you talk to her at school, and hung up on me. And I'm like, oh, it was horrible, Phil. And you know, that broke my heart. That, that broke, it really did, it broke my heart, because even though we didn't actually have a relationship at any point in that story, <laughs> I was in love. I was truly in love with her, right? Can you relate to that experience? But look, the simple fact of the matter is, half of you are like, no, weirdo. And the other half are like, yeah, right now, actually. Uh, <laughs> the crazy thing about this is that you can handle failure in life if God is your source of meaning and satisfaction and if God is the one on your throne. You put some girl, you boys, you put some girl on your throne in your heart, She's going to break your heart. Girls, if you put some guy on the throne of your heart, he is going to break your heart. It's just a matter of time. When we get canceled because we didn't do what the society told us to do, it can be devastating. But the simple fact is, if God is on the throne of your heart, you're going to be okay. And if you live for God, you're going to be a better employee. You're going to be a better friend. You're going to be a better parent. You're going to be better in all areas of your life. Is God first in your heart? That's the question. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with some of your heart. Jesus said, you're to love God with most of your heart. No, Jesus said you're supposed to love God with what? All. All your heart. All your heart. And Jesus didn't even stop there. And your soul and your mind and your strength. How much stronger could he possibly say, put God first, put God on the throne of your heart? I'd like to close in Revelation chapter 21. Because the, the, the truth is that not only should God be on the throne of your heart now, but God needs to be on that throne so that in the end, when he takes his throne here on the earth, you finally get what your heart has been longing for this whole Christian journey you've been on. In Revelation 21, we read, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is coming back. When Jesus comes back, he's going to fix this world. It's going to take some time. Amen? It's going to take some time. Jesus is going to fix this world. When the world is ready, then God is coming down. God himself, it says, is coming down. And when that happens, you will have an immediate access to God. 
As it is right now, there are times when I can feel God. There are times when I believe God has spoken to me. But there's also, if I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of times when God is hidden and God is silent. And in that day, he will be right there. And I don't know exactly how that's all going to work, so don't ask me a million questions. But what I know is that it says we will see his face. And it says the dwelling place of God is with man, and that we will be his people, he will be our God, and he will wipe away our tears. Do you want to be there in that kingdom of God? Do you want to be there to see God face to face? Well, look, put God on the throne of your heart today, and then when that time comes, it'll just be glory. It'll be joy. It'll be sweet relationship and fellowship with your creator forevermore. Let's pray. Gracious God and creator, we ask that you help us to put you on the throne of our hearts, that we would not substitute out some other thing, but that we would not just once while we're at fuel, but each and every day be disciplined enough to say, God, you are first. God, today I make you first in my life. We pray and ask for your help on that and your blessing for the rest of our time here. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, that brings this message to a close. What'd you think? Come on over to restitutio.org and find episode 455, Is God on the Throne of Your Heart? And leave your comments and questions and feedback there. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Now, as I mentioned last week, I am still in Africa this week teaching at Kinshasa, whereas last week I was in Brazzaville. These are kind of like twin cities on either side of the Congo River. And just like last week, I do ask that, if you can, that you would pray for me and my team and the churches there. I mean, these are brothers and sisters in Christ that live in difficult circumstances. Also, just wanted to let you know that I was approved, very excited about that, to be speaking at this year's Unitarian Christian Alliance Conference in October 13th to the 15th in Springfield, Ohio. I had kind of gotten sucked into the this unusual document from the 1700s written in 1782 called the key of truth i don't want to say too much about it right here and now but it is a fascinating document kind of a composite document written over a period of time that outlines the beliefs and some of the practices of a group of armenian christians who were living under Muslim control and then eventually migrated up into Russian-controlled Armenia before facing some pretty serious persecution, even possibly ending up exiled to Siberia, further stand for the biblical understanding of who God is and who Jesus is. So uh, I don't want to say too much more about it, but I will say this. I'm going to be talking all about it in October at the UCA conference. Registration is already available online, and I'm not sure when they're going to release who all the speakers are, but uh, I think there are seven of us uh, papers that were approved for this, and there's going to also be lots of workshops this year so that it's not just a nerd fest. If you're not into academic stuff, there's going to be lots of practical stuff, but if you're into academic stuff, then you are going to be like a pig in mud. It's going to be awesome. We're also going to have some evening sessions that are going to be fun and 
more community focused. So stay tuned for more information about that. If you want to register, registration is already open. It's limited to, I think we're going to limit it to 200 or 220 people, something like that. And I think it's pretty reasonable that we would hit that. So I hate to see anybody get excluded. So if you're thinking of going, might as well sign up now over at UnitarianChristianAlliance.org and get your ticket. And I look forward to seeing you there. That's it for this week. If you'd like to support Restitutio, you can do that online at Restitutio.org. I'll see you next time. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.